think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 400 of Low Limit Football on this 16th of September, 2023. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight we start year 10 with another milestone episode. Conway Ball is two matches into qualifying for the 2026 World Cup. We'll review the top news there. Greg Berhalter starts his second stint with the U.S. men's national team with a pair of wins against Uzbekistan and Oman. European qualifying was in full swing this international break. We'll give you the top results from that competition. Hansi Flick is sacked by Germany and temporarily temporarily replaced by Rudy Voller. And Champions League returns this week. We're going to discuss that and much more with our very special guest, Mr. Nima Tavale from SemperInter.com and the Italian Football Podcast, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. Welcome to 400, my friend. Welcome to 400 indeed, and, and rightly so. I think it's going to be very much a an interesting new set of seasons as we get into it, because mm -hmm. obviously everything has been going on in the um, in the Champions League now coming up and in the European seasons. I have to ask you about one player that you had the fortune or maybe misfortune of watching mm -hmm. uh, during your time as a Juventus fan. What the hell is going on with Paul Pogba? That is a disaster. Um, you know, according to reports that I've seen, he mistakenly took uh, a supplement that had testosterone in it yep. um, and then tested positive for it. You know, th this the the excuse or the, um, or, you know, or the story or the explanation from Pogba screams 1990s Major League Baseball to me. It absolutely. Remember Mark McGuire? Um, had the bottle yes, of semi so semi so yes, and all, those, and all yeah. that. I didn't know what I was taking. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I mean, we've we've seen that in here in the United States so so much, and and you know, and now we're seeing it in Europe with Paul Pogba. Um, he's done. I mean, he's done. the The mismanagement, whether by him, by Juve, or by both of them last year of the knee injury, um, you know, really started the downward spiral. He he wanted to 
stick it out and try and make the World Cup squad. He didn't make it. Uh, he had surgery. Um, that didn't, you know, didn't go well. He's a, he's a guy. He's probably a guy right now. You know, just given the pattern and the, and the history, he's probably a guy in a pretty dark place that wants to try and revive his career. Unfortunately, it tells me things are not going well with his healing. Um, and and I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the the end of Paul Pogba. You know, and and it's pretty unfortunate because. You know, this is a kind of a thing where it's, it's an injury. Like we look at Ansu Fati, right? Ansu Fati has a knee injury, um, but he has it very young. Okay. I think what, maybe 18 years old, something like that, Roberto, you can correct me on that. Um, you know, yeah, but, like but obviously youth is on his side and he's able to come back and he's getting some time elsewhere now. So he's on the upward swing and, and doing the right things. Pogba's 30, you know, the, the body doesn't heal as quickly. The body doesn't heal as well. And, you know, now he's trying to be a 26 year old in a 30 year old body doing 26 year old things. And it's just not going to happen anymore. It's, it's almost one of those things where you see the decline of um, players and, and, and they, they don't want to experience that decline. They don't want to admit that decline. So they're doing everything they can to not have that decline. And, and I think that's what you're seeing in Paul Pogba. I mean, you, you, you're pretty close to the situation as well. You've seen, I mean, it's pretty, you know, international news. What are your thoughts on yep. what's going on? Yeah, no, obviously it's it's very sad to see. I think, you know, certainly for someone who had a lot of really hope really about going on and, and just trying to to get on the right shape in everything from an injury perspective, from a mental perspective, from now this doping scandal. It's also an issue, like, mm-hmm. even for ex-Manchester United players. So, yeah, I don't want to go into, like, a huge Manchester United bashing, but, like, mm-hmm. look at someone like Jaden Sancho as well, who obviously is still very young and still um willing to to play but he's also someone that's dealt with like injuries and and someone that has just not found his way at Manchester United so maybe it's a maybe to get Manchester anything I don't know but yeah it's just sad to see Pogba not in the position that he's in where he at this age he's probably he could be one of the greatest players of his generation mm-hmm. and certainly of the world and now it's just fallen straight from grace yeah yeah so we'll have to see how that plays out and if uh if Juve do get out from under his contract it's it's going to be a windfall for them financially which right now Juve needs more than anything so um you know maybe maybe we recorded Nima earlier maybe we should have asked him about that but we can <laughs> you know we'll have to do that some other time um let's uh let's jump into the the plan here and uh because we've got a you know pretty packed show we have we've been away for a couple weeks um i'm going to open my friend with a trivia question for you if you are ready it's something i feel like we've might have asked this one once before but i'm going to give it to you again just in case so whenever you're ready Yes. All right. So, uh, obviously, the Champions League returns this week. We're all excited about that. You know, the the trophy with the big ears, as uh, Ray Hudson likes to say. Um, How many teams, how many clubs have successfully defended their Champions League title? I mean, I'm sorry, I shouldn't tell you. I'd say that there are eight teams that have successfully defended. So they, and this goes back to European Championships as well. Um, Can you name the teams? Okay. So eight, eight teams have won back to back. At yeah, least. Yeah, yeah. So, yep. All right. Let's get into opening thoughts. And opening thoughts is going to be uh, what was in the past. European qualifying, uh, World Cup qualifying, combi ball. Um, we can even dabble in a little bit of U.S. men's national team. Um, but I want to start down, uh, you know, down in South America with uh, with combi ball because obviously we had some pretty big uh, results with uh, World Cup qualifying down there. Uh, I'm actually just pulling up my, uh, my stats as it is right now, but uh, on... Off the top of my head, uh, Brazil and 
Argentina, both were uh, completely successful, going perfect uh, for, for World Cup qualifying. Um, you know, I'm, and I'm having trouble looking, finding my World Cup qualifying, uh, you know, spots here. But uh, so I'm going to have you give me actually. Yeah, I'm going to have you give them to me because I can't yeah, seem to find no, them at the I, moment. In front of me, actually. Yeah, Brazil currently top with Argentina, both of them with perfect scores, um, with perfect points, six points. Two wins, zero draws, and zero losses. Only Brazil, with a bigger goal difference, just by one, <laughs> mm-hmm. are uh, top of the top of the standings. Colombia are in third right now in, with four points, one win, one draw. The draw coming against uh, Chile, and they beat Venezuela on the first day. Uruguay under Marcelo Bielsa, you know, getting that three-one win against Chile in the first game, and then losing to an Ecuador side that are were on minus three points, now are on zero points uh, because of the. Falsification of the bird documents for Brian Castillo in the last qualifying cycle. You know, they're currently there in fourth. Venezuela. Venezuela currently in fifth after the win against Paraguay, who are currently in sixth. A Paraguay side who have not scored a single goal, Joe, mm-hmm. alongside Peru. They're the only two teams to have not scored a single goal yet uh, in this qualifying process. Both of them are in six and seven. And that's rounding off the the seven spots that would, you know, theoretically go for a World Cup squat, the spot. Uh, six go straight to the World Cup, whereas one go through a Interconfederation playoff. Looking at the last three, you got Chile with only one point, and other side that haven't won a single game. They lost, like I said, against Uruguay, and they drew Chile, uh, Colombia at home. Ecuador, like I said, you know they are finally getting back. I mean, obviously, if they hadn't got those deductions of points, they would have still been within the first few spots. But because of that, they're still on officially zero points. And Bolivia are also on zero points with. Two losses straight, the only team to have lost both their games so far. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely have some big results here, Joe. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it's very early to say who's going to probably go through. I mean, with the exception of maybe Brazil and Argentina, it's still open for a lot of teams to go for those final four spots or even fifth spots um, for um, for qualification. But so yeah. far, yeah, I mean, we, we could even see some change recently as a Paraguay are looking. I mean, this is not official at the moment, but from numerous reports that they're going to get rid of their manager, Guillermo Barros-Queloto. And there have been rumors of him with Ricardo Gareca or Gustavo Alfaro as one of the replacements. So, yeah, it's been, it's been this is this is to say that people are not shouldn't be paying attention to what's going on in South America. But, yeah, I think people should be paying attention to what's going on. Because if you're already getting a manager possibly sacked after two games of an 18 game cycle uh it shows that it's one to not miss that conmebol always entertains i I want i've got a couple of quick questions for you that i want to ask um because obviously um access to the conmebol qualifiers in the united states turned into some kind of pay-per-view thing like a ufc fight it was you know with the money that they were charging um first off brazil um, you know, escaping Peru one nil, right? With a with a ninetieth minute Marquinhos goal, um, is is Brazil in trouble? I mean, I, there's all this hope about um, Ancelotti coming in at the end of the of the season here. You know, th- there's there's talk about that and all that stuff. Is is Brazil focused enough? I mean, I, they're going to qualify, right? Let, let's get one thing out of the way. They're going to qualify, and it doesn't matter if they qualify first, fifth, or sixth. They're going to qualify, um, but. It, does this Brazilian side concern you right now, especially leaving a match that late against the Peruvian side that they should easily handle? Yeah, but this isn't to discredit Peru, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're a really good defensive side, so this isn't to say that they, you know, should have... Yeah, obviously, with the talent that they have, they should have beaten them convincingly, but this isn't to disregard Peru's game, to never to say the least. But, um, no, I mean, 
I think, like you said, yeah, they should have ease. They shouldn't have any uh, issues qualifying. I think the big question will, of course, be where, because, you know, looking at the next four games for the remainder of the year, they got Venezuela at home. They should beat them. Uruguay way is always a tricky game, especially mm-hmm. with Marcelo Bielsa now. You know, that could definitely be a game that the Uruguayans can make. Colombia way as well. Um over there in, in Bayanquilla, you know, yeah. Colombia always a, a tough side to play at home. But the big one, and one that I am really expectant, Joe, because I, I think I had made my prediction about the stable where, yeah, obviously I put Brazil and Argentina go through, but I switched it in terms of who goes first and goes second because I think looking at this Brazil side and even the game against Peru kind of also convinced me in a way where, yeah, maybe it's not as convincing as one would think i'm gonna go on a really bold claim joe and mm-hmm. let's hear your thoughts i think argentina beat brazil and brazil finally lose their first ever world cup qualifier at home and they've had that record for god knows how many decades but um yeah they've, they're unbeaten in world cup qualifying and i genuinely think that because of the way that argentina are playing especially Andres galoni messi still there um mm-hmm. and, and many other players also stepping up even when messi is not there i think there's a there's a huge probability that they could they could lose that game. I'm not saying it's certain because you know obviously Brazil Argentina games are always tight affairs no matter the venue or whatever. But I just think Argentina have done it before. They've beaten Brazil in Brazil before in the in the Copa America and and rightly so as world champions. I think you also have that that chip on your shoulder where you could say we're the best in the world and we can beat anyone. So I think there there is that. But yeah, I mean there is a little bit of a of a concern for me. Um, but I think. They're just trying to prepare as best as they can for for the Copa America next year, where I'm sure they're definitely trying to go and, and win that because that's always been kind of their their ammo is to win any continental titles that they can and, and go back to their to their winning ways. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, uh, they've been decent enough under Fernando Diniz, but it's also that big that big question mark about who's coming in with Ancelotti. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, and right. yeah, I mean, this is. This is going to be interesting. I think just wanted to mention one last thing from that game, the game against Bolivia. Neymar, at 31 years old and now with 79 goals to his name, is the all-time top goal scorer in Brazil uh, for the Brazilian national team. He beat Pele's record, which standed for over 50 years or something along those lines. And mm-hmm. yeah, congratulations to him. I guess he's, he's the only one. If it, if it wasn't for if it wasn't Ronaldo or Romario, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, any of those guys, it was it was Neymar. <laughs> There's so, so many names. Yeah, I know. Credit to him. no, I mean credit. Hey, you gotta get. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a weird career for him because mm-hmm. I think everyone wanted him to to go for the Ballon d'Or. He's now in Saudi Arabia at such a such a young age. But hey, I mean, gotta give credit to credits too. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all his. You know, going back to your point with Argentina and Argentina possibly beating Brazil in that match coming up. Um, that that's not coming up for a little while though. Um, November. But, November. Oh, is is it even that close? Wow. Um, Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I said. But, but you've got a team in Argentina that, I mean, for me, just watching them has, is not resting on their laurels, right? I mean, they could easily just go, you know what? We won the World Cup. We did it with Messi. We, you know, we, we, we did all this stuff. We won the Copa America with Messi. We, 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 you know, we've won the trophies. Now we can rest. This is a team that's not resting. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and impressive to go up to Bolivia to go to altitude. Um, without Lionel Messi and and put a three nil on Bolivia. Um, granted, Argentina is just that much more talented, but going to Bolivia is a difficult place to play. Just like you talked about going to Barranquilla and playing Colombia there is a very difficult place to play. And Argentina, you know, three nil uh, did it handily. Uh, so you know this team is not resting. I I I don't think you're wrong. 
You know what I mean? I, I don't think you're wrong because this team just looks like it's just moving forward. It's just plowing through. It's going to, it's going to either going to, they're going to win another world cup or they're just going to crash and burn on the way because they've just spent all their fuel, but they are just moving forward. Um, and, and well, that's it. Like, I think yeah. that's, that's the big thing is like, when does it stop? And I think it will stop eventually. I mean, certainly oh, it has know, to, yeah. even it, yeah, I mean, none team's going to go that perfect. Um, but, and especially with Messi still in the position that he's in, I mean, you know, right now he's kind of playing, I'd say probably the most enjoyable type of football you can get mm-hmm. at what we see at Inter Miami. So I think this is even perfect for him because in a way as well, obviously his age is, he's at 36. So he's, he's kind of pulling back. Like you said, in the, um, in the game against Ecuador, he, he scored that goal, but he came off afterwards as well. So he didn't even play the entire game. And and as well, I think as you look at other players that step up, you look at the three goals. Enzo Fernandez, 20, 22 years old, you know, and Tagliafico, um, I think he's around the 28, 29 range or something. I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think like right off the top of my head. Or 31, never mind. Okay, yeah. I thought it was much younger. Uh, but him and Nico Gonzalez scoring the other goal, uh, 25 years old. And yeah, you have other players that are going to step up. You know, you have your, your Julian Alvarez's of the world. You have your... Your um, Ángel Correas, you have your Garnachos, Latoro Martinez, McAllister. Right. I can go on. I mean, they're they're a side that is has good depth, and you know it, they're not exactly a side that is also getting much. You know, not that old is what I'm saying. With the exceptions, yeah. like yeah, you have your Otamendi's and your Di Maria's and and whatnot, and Messi's, but then around you still have players not even in the 30 range or just right around the, the mid 20s. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of that good mix and that's something that I think Argentina have been, haven't had for quite some time, which now under Scaloni finding that winning formula and now winning all these, you know, games and titles, it shows that, yeah, they, they are deservedly the best team in the world. And yeah, I mean, early favorites to win the Copa America next year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. They're- but they're a team that's reloading before your exactly. eyes. You know right. what I mean? And I think it's similar to the way that Brazil kind of done it when they won all those titles and, and whatnot. It's kind of now we're seeing it with Argentina where mm-hmm. they've kind of found the the right balance. And, and I think, you know, even even without Messi, I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big loss for any team in the world to not play with Lionel Messi. But I think with Argentina's case, they've always produced world-class talents over the years. I think now they just found the right generation with a good coach that allowed them to play well. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm standing by that, that 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 prediction that they'll beat Brazil. I mean, we'll see what type of team we'll get because we still have uh, two months until that, that game. Um, but, I mean, I again, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Yeah, I agree. I, w- I want to ask you one more question before we, uh, before we head over to our guest. Um, Paraguay, you mentioned earlier that they may be firing uh, uh, Skeloto uh, in this one and bringing, either, you know, Careca. There's a couple of names that you mentioned there. Uh, you know, obviously, some this is something that's very close to you. Who do you want mm-hmm. to see um, coming in uh, if they do sack Scalotto, or do you even want them to stick with them? No, I, I, it's weird because it's been a debate that's been on in Paraguay with like my friends and the media and all that. I think there's always been this case of like it's a long process, and usually, you know, I think with some countries they lose that kind of patience, and I think. You know, there's, there's a bigger problem with Paraguayan football as a whole uh, in regards to how it should be managed. But, like, I think with this, I, I just, you know, he's been on this team for over a year now. And, yeah, I know it's it's, it's really unfair to, to say that, considering he came in at the end where Paraguay were just essentially already eliminated from Qatar. But mm-hmm. I think from what I've seen in performances, I mean, it's just it's not been good enough. It's really been a, a poor record right now. I mean, they've only won... 
one competitive game and they won four games. So yeah, I'll have the record right in front of me. Four wins, four draws, nine losses mm-hmm. in 17 games. That's a really poor return. So yeah, I mean when you when you have to go with these changes and the thing more than anything that they just they haven't been scoring goals. So it's like where do you go from here? How do you how do you change your team? I, I, I think personally, if I had to choose, I think I'd go for Gareca because I think he is his CV, his resume speaks for himself that he's done well with Peru, you know, working with less. Alfaro, the, the former Ecuador coach, is also someone that I would think of. I mean, you have some coaches domestically as well, like Dani Ganero, who is the coach of Libertad, who won all these titles domestically. He's probably going to be the, the interim manager at the minute, and he's probably the favorite to do so. But if I had to choose, yeah, I'd probably pick Gareca because I think yeah. he's someone that is someone that allows him to, to really work well with less, but... I think, you know, that's that's what my heart thinks. What my mind thinks, I think what's really going to happen is going to be Ganero because he's someone that's he knows the Paraguayan player. He knows what it's like managing in Paraguay and he knows how it all works there. So, again, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too too sad on either options. But mm-hmm. I think what I want is just to win and I want them to well first score. Right. I mean, that's the first thing I want them to score. But also to win because you got big games coming up. They got Argentina next in in Buenos Aires, which is a very tough game. Um, and then they got Bolivia at home. And you know, I think if they can't even beat Bolivia, I think you have to have really some serious issues administratively if they can't do that. So yeah, I was just saying. Yeah, that- I mean, again, like I said, it's it's still early. I mean, it's two games out of eighteen. That's eleven percent of the of the qualifying process, and seventy percent of our of a Commonwealth go through. So I mean. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not calling it quits as of yet. I'm not throwing in the towel, but yeah, it has to get better immediately if they need to. They have any sort of chance of qualifying to the to the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, if 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 got if um, I'm I'm sorry, if Scalotto's still there and they draw or lose to Bolivia at home, yeah, I mean, I I don't see him making it out of the country. I, I mean, it's just that's just gonna have to be the way it is. So, um, mm. let's let's table our discussion. Obviously, they'll return. Uh, I believe in October. Uh, October 12th from what I'm seeing um, right yep. around that time for uh, for the next round of World Cup qualifying and we'll bring you that information once uh, once we get a little closer so um, we were joined earlier by Nima Tavale from SemperInter.com and from the Italian Football Podcast we were able to talk about Champions League uh, we, d- we talked about Italy and they're qualifying for the Euros we even touched on the uh, the Hansi Flick situation in Germany and what's going on there. So without further ado, our very special friend and guest, uh, Nima Tavale joining us now and joining us now on low limit football from semperinter.com and the Italian football podcast, our good friend, Nima Tavale, Nima, welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to have you on, um, recording this on Saturday morning. We have a huge match coming up in the Derby della Madonnina coming up in just a few hours. Um, for me, for recollection, this is one of the earliest times that I've ever seen this derby kick off in the season. We're in week four now, and uh, you're getting two teams that are unbeaten at this point, or they're actually perfect, with Inter being extremely perfect. They haven't even conceded a goal yet. Uh, how do you see this derby laying out against two teams that are really playing well so far to open the Serie A season? I think it's... Um... You know, I remember the last time I remember a derby this early on, if you you can correct me if I'm wrong, those listening, but it was the treble season, 2009-2010, when Inter won 4-0. But other than that, I can't really remember a derby that was played this early on on match day four, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I think that this, because of the fact that this is an early 
derby. I think the and the Champions League, of course, starting next week. I kind of think that that this is going to be a very cagey affair. I don't think it's going to be a blowout um, blowout performance by anyone. I don't expect anyone to go all out guns out, all guns blazing. Um, I th- also because of the injuries to Kalulu and Chiao. Uh, sorry, uh, Kalulu and Tomori, but suspended. I think, you know, and, and they having to play Chao and Kier, um, I think this is going to be a very cagey affair. I think it's going to be a very tactical game. Um, I don't expect a lot of goals, and I, I think this is going to end up in a kind of either a goalless draw or 1-1 or something. You know, it's very interesting to say that, Neil, because obviously it seems like, obviously, the attention will be shifted now with the Champions League beginning that week as well as Inter travel to Spain to take on Real Sociedad, but they are drawn in a group with... Red Bull Salzburg of Austria and Benfica, obviously an opponent of them from last season uh, in from Portugal. So, I mean, looking at this group overall, it's a very open group, I would say. But nevertheless, I think given the fact that Inter have really demonstrated that they can compete in this in this competition and obviously on all fronts and uh, every other competition they're in, how do you assess this group? And do you feel as if though Inter have enough ease to to go past it, not just as as to qualify to the knockout stage, but also as group winners. No, they have to win the group. Let's not beat around the bush. I don't think it's very open at all. It might be open for the second spot, but the first spot, Inter have to win. It's as simple as that. This is Inter's, uh, this is Inter's chance to finally win the Champions League group uh, for the first time in a very, very long time. Um, so, no, no, Inter are favourites. There's no doubt about it. They've had, a, they've had a very good summer bringing in players that suit the system. They've rejuvenated. They've all whilst cutting costs. Um, turning a little bit of a profit from the transfer window as well. Um, so no, look, let's, let's not beat around the bush. This is this is a group that Inter will have to win, that, that, they, that they have an obligation to win, not just qualify from the group. They have an obligation to win it. Uh, and I think they, that's how they approach it too, uh, which is why I think that the Milan derby is, is one that they will try to, you know, they will, they will basically try to control it. Um, I think both teams do because obviously Milan are in the group of death as well. Um, so... I, I, that's that's another aspect of why I've come to the conclusion that I think that we will see a rather cagey game. But to answer your, to return to your point, um, Benfica and Real Sociedad uh, and and Salzburg as well. They you know they are they are tricky sides. You have to be on your on your guard. You can't you know you can't just think that you're going to win because you're Inter and they're not. Um, they are good sides. I mean, any Spanish team that's in this in the Champions League is is a good side. You, you can be rest assured of that. And Benfica obviously. You know, won the Portuguese league last year. Of course, Inter played them uh, in, the, in the knockout stages, but you know that, that's that's a different kind of football um, when when you play in the knockout stages. But no, I I, I look at this as Inter are the clear favourites. Um, what's open is who will finish second, and and Inter have to have to just impose themselves and their football uh, and 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 play the way they know the way that Simona has them playing this season, which is a much more deeper side. They're much more direct. And I think we're going to see a lot of rotations as well. I expect Pavard and Fratesi to make their full debuts from start against Real Sociedad away uh, next week. Now, obviously, it's a good segue to that group of death that Milan are in because they're obviously grouped in with PSG, Borussia Dortmund and Newcastle United. I mean, this one, it could go either way, really. It could really go either way. So I just like your thoughts on Milan's chances to, to really advance out of this group. I think people are going to be surprised by Milan. I wouldn't be surprised if Milan actually went and won this group um, because I think uh, a lot of people, no one fancies them. Everyone fancies PSG and and, and, and they fancy uh, Newcastle and, 
Um, so so I, I actually think that Milan can surprise people. I think the football that Milan play in this, um, the way that they play now, this kind of hybrid 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 uh, with the players that they brought in, um, I think it actually suits European football really well. Um, and also, of course, now they're not just dependent on Leao. They have a Christian Pulisic who... I think this was the smartest move both for him and for Milan. I think he, will, he he has started excellently and I think he will be excellent. I think he's going to be the first US men's national team player to to become a star at a classic football club like AC Milan. Um, and, I, and I think his start warrants that. Um, so it warrants me to repeat that. Um, so I, I expect me, I actually think Milan can surprise people. I think Milan can win their group, to be honest. Yeah, no, and, and I'd like to hear Joe's thoughts as well, because I think, you know, this is a group that really can go either way. And, you know, we've seen different really starts for a lot of these teams, for Dortmund, Newcastle, and uh, and PSG even as well, where they drop points. But, you know, Milan are still the ones that, at the time of recording, are still perfect. So it even bodes more of a of a realistic chance for them to really bet on them, you could say, for them to do something in this group. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you know, a lot of the other teams in this group, like Dortmund, um, you know, and Newcastle, haven't gotten off to the best starts in their domestic campaigns so far. So there is, there, there might be a bigger focus on the Champions League groups. But again, you know, PSG was in a little bit of turmoil to start. Uh, we talk about Milan, AC Milan, and Inter Milan uh, coming off the derby into Champions League. Once we come out of this first week of Champions League, PSG going to Lake Classique. So they have big matches on the horizon as well, and their focus could be there. Um, I think Newcastle is a little bit of a wild card here, and I think that Newcastle needs to right the ship here at this point. Uh, you know, things have kind of gone sideways for them to start. So um, I, I agree with Nima. I mean, we know that this group is open, but depending on how this result goes this, you know, today for the uh, for the derby, um, Milan could be really floated and, and buoyed by this and, and really kind of be high on spirits going into that uh, first match this week. Um, it could bode well. They could really kind of build off of some momentum against Inter Milan um, and start to start the group off on the right foot, in my opinion. Definitely. And looking at the other teams in this, um, other Italian teams in the Champions League, we go to Lazio now, where they're also in what I would say, Nima, really tricky group. They got Atletico Madrid of Spain, Feyenoord, and Celtic of Scotland. You know, they kick it off right with. Atleti at the Estadio Olimpico and you know Lazio haven't been obviously to the best of starts you know just one win and but that in three games with that win and being against Napoli so how do you assess their chances in this group under Mauricio Sarri? I think they have to finish top two um, I would be extremely disappointed in Sarri and Lazio if they don't finish in the top two because uh, Feyenoord and Celtic all due respect Sarri and Lazio are better it's it's just that simple they have a better team on 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 paper they have a better coach on the bench um, I, I think Atletico Madrid might will be a little bit too tricky for them. So I don't think they should focus too much on that. I think they should focus on the Celtic and Feyenoord games where they should try to win all four and 12 points will definitely get you through. Um, so no, for me, for me, Lazio have to finish in the second. I, I, I would call, I would go so far as to call it an, an, a failure if, if Lazio don't finish in the top two here. Yeah, uh, Nima, I want to jump in. If Lazio don't finish in the top two, does Sari lose his job? No, okay. no. Sari doesn't lose his job. Sorry, Sarri, Sarri doesn't lose his job because of what happened to the Champions League uh, group stage. Uh, he could lose his job if they finish, if they have a disastrous Serie A season and, they, you know, they, they start losing 
you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve games, and they don't finish even the European spots, then I think yeah, he loses his job. But I don't think he he loses his job because of what happens in the Champions League. Well, one team that, of course, wants to have a, a better performance in the Champions League, and that's the defending champions of the Scudetto, is Napoli. They're in a group with Real Madrid, Braga, and Union Berlin. I think this one as well feels a bit straightforward, and that battle with Real Madrid is going to be the top spot. So I'd like your thoughts on how Rudy Garcia is going to deal with this group. I'm worried about Napoli's in this group because FC Union Berlin are a tricky side. They, they've made some really interesting signings. Um, they all to an already very, very good side. Um, Danilo Doeji and as a right center back is very quick. They brought in Bonucci, who I think will do excellently in the middle of that back three. Um, no, I, 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 I want to raise a little bit of a finger of here for people to watch out. I think we could actually see Napoli not get it through, go through the group stage. Um, I, I have zero faith in in in, uh, in in Rudy Garcia, and I've never had it with no matter where he's been. I don't think he's a top manager, and I think the decision to appoint him after after Luciano Spalletti was was a disaster is, is is a disastrous one by Aurelio De Laurentiis. Um, but uh, so no, um, I, I I I'm a little bit concerned here. I I think of course, like you said, Real Madrid will go um, will, will win the group. But I, I watch out for. I think that Union Berlin could be the surprise team of the Champions League this season, not just in this group, but generally. I think they could reach a quarter final or something like that, which would be a huge upset given that this is the first time, you know, this is the first time they're in the Champions League. Nima, you must have read my mind because, you know, they had such a successful Bundesliga season last year to get into Champions League. You know, they were, like you said, they're kind of flying under the radar, and all of a sudden here they are, and they're in a group that, um, you know, if. I don't think Braga stands much of a chance. Uh, although Braga is the, uh, if I remember correctly, was the only team that beat Benfica twice last year. Uh, you know, Benfica only four losses going full circle with what we're talking about in the Champions League. But um, yeah, Union Berlin just had a great season last year. They've built off of it. They've made some smart moves in the offseason here. And and I think, like you said, the for the step forward that Union Berlin has taken, Napoli with Rudy Garcia, I, I'm with you. Um, I, I think they've taken a big step back off of Luciano Spalletti. Spalletti just had the right ingredients for for last season for what he, for what he had on the pitch um and and it suited him well and I don't think Rudy Garcia is the same manager style wise that that Spalletti was and and I think that's you know that could be a big big problem um and we saw it uh you know even open up against Lazio just before the international break where Napoli dropped uh dropped that result at home so um, that, that is going to be a tricky one. I do want to talk to you about Luciano Spalletti, though, because obviously he takes over as the uh, as the Italian manager uh, coming in and taking over for uh, Bobby Mancini, who went over to Saudi Arabia and, um, you know, opened up with uh, with a tough match against North Macedonia in the uh, qualifying of the Euros and then obviously made up for it with the 2-1 victory over Ukraine. What are your thoughts on Spalletti's first two matches as manager of the Italian national team? Um, you know, Italy do sit in a good spot. They have Malta next in their World Cup qualifying in the next inter- in, uh, in the next window. Uh, they do stand a good spot to advance as one of those two teams in the top of the group with England. Um, but what are your thoughts on Spalletti so far and the Italian national team's chances? Well, Italy has to finish in the top two. Uh, if they don't, it, it would be an abject failure. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, so, yes, uh, that, 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 they just have to finish in the top two. I actually think that they have a good chance of still winning the group um, because they do play Malta, yes, but they play England three, four days later at Wembley. And I think that's, I think that's going to be Spalletti's 
first like real test where he will show. I think he will pass that test with flying colours. I actually think Italy will beat uh, England uh, at Wembley if everyone is fit. If we don't see any you know crazy injuries on important players, but if we're um, because I think by then England will kind of turn off, take their foot off the gas as well because they would probably by then have all but secured qualification already. Mm. Um, so no, I, I think that that's that's where I see that. When it comes to Spalletti overall, I think the game against Ukraine was more what we kind of expect, what we will, what we what we should expect from Spalletti's Italy, uh, both good and bad. The good, much more dynamic, hungry, the false nine with Raspadori, uh, the the positional shifts, um, you know, that you know the, the midfield, you know his his Zielinski, so to speak, he's looking for his Zielinski. Well, he didn't find that, but he did find his his um, his his regista in Manuel Locatelli, who's, who's a rather dynamic player, um, who who I like, um, and and I think that if if you know we've seen this before with Spalletti, he 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 knows how to get the best out of players. Throughout his career, he has unlocked so many players to take the next step, um, and he did it. Uh, he's done it, you know, with Brozovic. He turned him into a world-class player. You know, people forget that he wasn't a regista. He was a mezzala, and he wasn't. He was very up and down. But Spalletti turned him into a regista, a very dynamic regista. He's got the world record for the most distance covered in in two games. Uh, well, he's, he has, he's got he's, he's he's got the most distance covered uh, in one in, in the World Cup, and and he beat his own record, which was also in the World Cup for I think four four years pre prior. Um, so, or it was in Russia, I think I can't remember exactly, but he, he's got the record for the for, for the two games uh, the, that a, that a that a player the most distance covered in a football game by a football player, uh, the world record. So, I I think that the midfield is going to be very similar to what we saw at Napoli, a hybrid four two three one four three three. He is looking for his Zielinski. I think Pessina could be potentially that. Um, but Fratesi, Barella, Locatelli was very good. I think Tonali will return against England because I think Tonali has a role to play. I think Locatelli, Tonali and Barella could be an option against England. Um, but no, I, 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 the game against North Macedonia, I'm not too bothered by because there was barely any time to prepare for that. Um, now he's, he saw more, uh, more of what he wanted to do against Ukraine. And then to take the negative side of it, he, his teams can sometimes wander off and be too eager and press too high. And then when, when an opposition breaks that, it's basically six against two. Uh, we saw that many times against Ukraine where I think Italy made Ukraine look better than they actually are. Um, and, and that's something he needs to work on because uh, you know we, he, that was a problem at Napoli as well, of course. But his Napoli side has Victor Ossiman and Richard Garzelia and... And of course, Politano, when he plays next to those two routes, you know, then he raised his game, and so they, you know, they wrapped up games pretty quickly. Italy have a goal-scoring issue, and this has been the longest problem. It's been going on for 15 years, ever since Lucatoni generation stopped. Now I do see a finally the light in the end of the tunnel, and that is Scamacca. For me, Scamacca is who they should build around. It's not Ciro Immobile. Okay, if you want to play a false nine, it's, it's a good option to have, but. Skamaka is that guy. He's big in the air. He can shoot with both feet. He's technical. You know the comparisons that Italian, some in the Italian media, make to Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, I, I can see the similarities. Although Zlatan was a magical player, and Skamaka is anything but. At least so far in his career, he showed us nothing to suggest that he is. He is a very, very good player. I think he is the number nine that Italy should build their attack around. He's in the right age. He also wants to prove himself. So. 
I want to see Destiny Udoji. I want to see Gianluca Scamacca start for Italy against uh, England at Wembley. That would be. Fa- I'm, I'm surprised he didn't get a start here in these two matches myself, um, because I agree with you. I think he's definitely the number nine uh, that they that they well, need. He can start. He can start by calling them up to the squad because uh, right. neither neither of them were in the squad, and, and that that annoyed me to no end. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so so Destiny Udoji and Skamaka have to be called up to the squad. If he doesn't, then Spalletti needs to. People need to start asking what the problem is, because you know again, Chiro Immobile isn't getting any younger. I have all the respect in the world for Chiro Immobile, but Chiro Immobile is not getting any younger, and he's he's also declining. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. both for club and country. And I think Maurizio, I think Chiro Immobile will have to try to fight to keep his place at Lazio. Uh, not and shouldn't even think about the national team. Yeah, uh, if I'm perfectly honest, because what, I think that Maurizio Sarri, when you know, when when Lazio were at their best last season, was when Ciro Immobile wasn't on the pitch when he was injured, when they played the false nine and and you know this the beautiful Sarri geometry, as they call it in Italy, uh, of, of the movements on the pitch is just you know with a false nine is something else. So yeah, yeah. In terms of the injury parts, where does where does Chiesa fit in? Does he if, if he gets healthy? I mean. Oh, he absolutely starts. Yeah. Um, you know, you have Chiesa on one wing, Scamacca in the middle, and then you can have Berardi or, you know, who, Nyonto, or, I mean, whoever you want, really, on, on, the other, on the other side. The good thing with Chiesa and, and is that he can, he can actually play on both wings. He really can. Yeah. Um, I think he, he, he's, he, he's functional on both sides uh, because when, when he, cause he can dribble, he can shoot, he, you know, he's good. He's actually deceptively good in the air. Um, so, no, I, I, Chiesa walks. I mean, Chiesa, Scamacca, uh, then I don't care who they really put on the other side. You could put Politano uh, for me, the midfield. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, yeah, of course, Politano, we've seen what he can do when he's surrounded by really good players. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, that's an option. Berardi's another. Um, I really like Raspadori. Um, yeah. And, and no, look, Italy have options. It's just getting it all to work and getting, it, you know, getting them together. And I think that game against Wembley is the one I'm marking as the one to watch. Hopefully no injuries for Italy, like we saw this time around with Chiesa pulling out. Yeah. Uh, and also, I never want to see Orsolini ever called up to the Italian <laughs> national team ever again. Yeah. Thought it was odd that, I, I thought it was odd that he got into that match against Ukraine too. Um, well, last question. Matt, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even start for Bologna. He can start by getting into the Bologna side. I mean, right. It's ridiculous. Yeah, we've got levels. Um, you know, last question before I let you go, and, and we're going to go away from Italy for one second. Germany sacking Hansi Flick. Uh, they've been in a little bit of turmoil. They bring on Rudy Voller for now as an interim manager, and uh, and they promptly beat France two one. What are your thoughts on uh, the German situation? It's so strange what's going on with Germany because I think qualitatively they have fantastic players in pretty much every single position. I don't understand. I, I, you know, Hansi Flick being the first German manager in history to be sacked. You know, mm-hmm. Germany's never sacked managers before, from what I understood if, when I looked it up, and and that's just insane. Um, but yeah, it, I I don't know what to make of that. Um, I'm surprised because I thought he was fantastic at Bayern. I really like him. Um, but it just didn't really work out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if we don't see Julian Nagelsmann, but I wonder if that is what they need. I mean, I, I, don't, I really don't know. I honestly don't know what, what is going on there, and I'm really surprised by it because I think the quality of the players, that's not up for debate. No, I agree, totally. Nima, thank you for coming on the show and joining us. Um, give our best to Carlo as well over at the Italian Football Podcast. Always uh, a pleasure having you on, and we always look forward to the next time, my friend. Oh, always a pleasure to be with you guys and keep up the good work. And special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Roberto, 
Obviously, with Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League returning this week, we have quite the list of matches of the week to bring to everybody. So, let's start off on Tuesday. Uh, as we were discussing earlier, AC Milan, Newcastle, 12.45 p.m., we were followed by PSG and Borussia Dortmund at 3 p.m. Those are all Champions League matches. On Wednesday, we have Champions League with Real Madrid Union Berlin at 12.45 p.m., followed by Bayern Munich and Manchester United at 3 p.m. We're going to close out Wednesday, though, with an MLS match, St. Louis FC and LAFC at 8.30 p.m. On Thursday, we go to the Europa League, where we have Sheriff Tiraspol playing Roma at 12.45 p.m., and Ajax and Marseille uh, closing out our Europa League at 3 p.m. Then we'll go back to league action on Saturday, and some big matches coming up this weekend, too. Arsenal-Tottenham, uh, obviously London Derby there, 9 a.m., will kick us off on Saturday morning. Union Berlin and Hoffenheim at 9.30 a.m. in the Bundesliga. Sassuolo-Juve at noon in the Serie A, and back to MLS uh, Saturday night. For Philadelphia and LAFC, a, re- a rematch of last year's uh, championship. That'll be at 7.30 p.m. And then it's Derby Sunday. Uh, you'll get to sleep in a little bit, but then you're going to wake up to 2.45 p.m. where we'll get Le Classique between PSG and Marseille. And we're going to close it out with the Madrid Derby. Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid at 3 p.m. Roberto, I had mentioned a trivia question earlier today where uh, I had said there were eight clubs that have successfully defended their Champions League title. Can you name the eight clubs? And the information, by the way, is from 442. Okay, so the first one that comes right off to my head is the most successful, and that's Real Madrid. That's the easiest one. The second one that I'm going to give you is Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich did it in 74, 75, and 76. The next one I'm going to give you is Ajax. Ajax, 71, I'm sorry, 71, 72, 73. The next one I'm going to give you is Milan. Milan, 89 and 90. The next one I'm going to give you is Inter. Inter, 64, 65. Very good call there. All right, so I got what, two more? One, two, yeah, three more. Three more, okay. Um, all right, this one's going to be, I'm going to give you, ooh, here we go, Liverpool? Liverpool, 77, 78. I think it's this one. I'm not too sure, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Uh, Nottingham Forest? Nottingham Forest, 79-80. You have wow. one more, and it's not oh, – well. and I'm going to give this away. It's not a top five league for what we would ben, traditionally ben, ben, call. Benfica. Benfica, 61-62. So your wow. eight clubs that have successfully defended their Champions League titles, Real Madrid, Benfica, Inter Milan, Ajax, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, Nottingham Forest, and AC Milan – your trivia answer. So without anything left on the plan, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 400 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll recap all the derbies that are coming up this weekend. We'll recap the Champions League and Europa League as well. So for episode 400 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.